0: The first scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 uh, through chapter 4, verse 2. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful thing that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word, but by the open statement of the truth we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. May God bless the reading and hearing of this word. Gospel lesson this morning continues us
1: in the Gospel according to Luke. We find ourselves today in the ninth chapter, verses 28 through 43. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory, the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not Knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent in those days. They told no one of any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him just then a man from the crowd shouted teacher I beg you to look at my son he is my only child suddenly a spirit seizes him and all at once he shrieks it convulses him until he foams at the mouth it mauls him and will scarcely leave him I begged your disciples to cast it out but they could not Jesus answered you faithless and perverse generation how much longer must I be with you and bear with you bring your son here While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. All were astounded at the greatness of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Well up in our hearts, O Lord, a hunger for your word. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. May we understand that if we are hungry it is because we have not asked. For you have provided most graciously to us for our joy, which is your strength. Amen. A meme I saw about two weeks ago online has stuck in my head because I think there's a certain comforting brilliance to it. It simply read, When God put a calling in your life, God already factored in your stupidity. (laughs) Doesn't that bring great peace? (laughs) I hope it brings comfort. There have been multiple occasions in my life when I've wondered if my screw-ups have jeopardized what it is that God is attempting to do through me. No, I'm not going to spend the rest of the day outlining my screw-ups. We do have, after all, an annual meeting to get to, and our uh, roll call of stupidities might take a lot longer than your average sermon. But at the same time, I've also learned that from my mistakes come successes so even when I have messed up God was faithful in my weakness and failure to transform those moments into opportunities for grace and for strength consider the boy that was stricken with seizures after they had come down from the mount of transfiguration now Peter James and John had just witnessed this glorious scene the convergence of Moses and Elijah and Jesus in a mystical crowd that rendered them all very shiny. The Convergence gave the disciples a visual depiction of what was to come, encountering the fullness of God's presence on the mountain during a prayer meeting. As the Apostle Paul mentioned in the epistle lesson that Chris read, whenever Moses would go up into the mountain for an encounter with God, that encounter would leave an imprint of God's presence on his face and when he'd come down his face would be glowing and the people would kind of freak out they couldn't bear to look at Moses and so they asked if they could put a veil over his face because quite frankly his emergence with the presence of God completely distracted from what he was going to say he was so luminescent and so they put on the veil and in tribute to that moment in Orthodox Jewish communities when the Uh, Pentateuch is read, the people will actually veil their faces in memory of the glory of Moses speaking the law. That was the case with the disciples. Jesus had work to do but they became so mesmerized with the glory of Mount Transfiguration, Peter suggested they just linger there. Let's stay a while. Let's build a museum, or a think tank, or a foundation, or a university. And we can have a building for you, Jesus, a building for Moses, a building for Elijah. Sounds like Oprah. Jesus gets a building. Moses gets a building. Elijah gets a building. I love Jesus' response to that comment from Peter. Jesus just pretends it doesn't happen, he just sort of moves on. He says nothing in response. It was Moses, the giver of the law, Elijah, the prophet prophet who did not see death but instead the low swinging chariot came to carry him home and of course Jesus the embodiment of the good news of the gospel peter says let's just sit here for a moment let's let's get out the remote and hit replay and watch it again in slow motion ooh fast motion ooh let's just linger over and over and over except that vision that moment accomplished little. Peter, just two weeks later, still denies Christ. I never knew him. James and John abandoned Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers carried him away. They ran away. They all cowered with the others in the upper room. This great transfigured vision did absolutely nothing for their hearts when things became difficult, when they were terrified. If the transfiguration teaches us anything, it may teach us just how useless visions can be. Besides, at the bottom of the mountain there was a dad who had a little boy who was suffering from seizures. The disciples were powerless to heal the boy, and Jesus had work to do. They'd attempted to cast the demon out, but somehow they had just failed. When Mark tells the story of the transfiguration and the boy who has seizures, uh, the disciples ask Jesus why it was they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus responds that these only respond to much prayer. That is the problem with grand moments. They're only moments. And they don't necessarily accomplish the work that needs to be done. When I was in high school, I was a a cheerleader my senior year. You never would have guessed that. No, I wouldn't expect you to. Um, It wasn't because I could do a standing backflip, which I couldn't. It was that I had a voice which, when combined with a megaphone, could take charge of the cheers for an entire crowded football stadium. That's why they recruited me to be a cheerleader. I was also a member of the pep band and the real cheerleaders needed a liaison between their cheers and the music that got played so that we could synchronize the whole event. Now we, the pep band and the cheerleaders and my big voice, held outrageously wonderful pep rallies, posters, balloons, coordinated cheers, the school song, other spirit men who could do real backflips. Complex cheer routines, chants against our opponents, cadences supporting our team that they were great no matter what, except we had one major problem. Our football team wasn't any good. There was no correlation between the energy of the pep rally and the likelihood of victory. We could keep the crowd in the game, we really could. But when there were only two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter and the only winning combination was a Hail Mary pass followed by a fumbled punt return and a 63-yard field goal, no cheer was going to make that happen for our team, especially the field goal. We never even tried extra points because our kicker was so bad. Always went for two, almost never got that either. Yes, we had spirit, no matter the cost. We had spirit, and then we lost That's the problem with grand transfigurational moments. They end, and life picks up exactly where life left off. Consider the children of Israel. Their leader was so close to God that his face was constantly glowing. But... Every time he spoke to the people, they recognized he spoke to God, but then when water was short, they complained. When food was short, they complained. When they had to go and invade the land, they resisted. No amount of glowing face Moses actually turned them into an energized force. No charisma, no momentary energy brought about sustained change. As Jesus said, true change only comes from prayer over the long haul now last Sunday you may recall I preached about loving your enemies love your enemies said Jesus this week more than one person has quite sincerely asked how are we supposed to love Vladimir Putin it's a fair question I'm gonna attempt an answer it has to do with the nature of love When Christ said, love your enemies, he wasn't talking about distant characters. Jesus didn't say, have warm and happy feelings for the emperor who was way back in Rome. Love requires proximity. What we call love at first sight, that's not love. That's lust. I could no more love Vladimir Putin than I could love Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any other world leader that I've never met. I may find their ideas compelling. I may find their ideas repulsive. But they are not individuals for whom I can pour out genuine, constructive, compassionate actions. They're about charisma, and that's why they hold pep rallies. But sustained change, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, Love your enemies. Jesus is talking about those who are right in front of us. The friend or relative who constantly interrupts your relationship and gatherings with annoyingly provocative comments. Jesus tells us to love them. Perhaps love them enough to just change the subject and seek their well-being rather than a rebuttal of their thoughts. But second, I think it has to do with this little boy stricken with seizures, possessed by a demonic spirit. And that is the part that involves much prayer. The nature of love is not a single heroic event, as every husband who went over the top on Valentine's Day well knows. It's not a momentary shift from loathing to loving, When the light hits their face just right and all of a sudden (gasps) we see them transfigured in a heavenly glow. No. How can we love Vladimir Putin? We can't. He's too far away. We also can't hate him either, to be honest. That takes way too much energy and frankly, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty irrelevant. Our hate has no constructive power at this distance. But there are those of us who are near us, who are in our lives, who occasionally begin to sing the praises of narcissistic sociopaths. What are we to do for them? How do we transfigure our heart so that we can gain for them the capacity to love? We recognize that love is hard work, hard prayerful work. It cultivates and grows in our hearts and our actions. Love expands our ability to separate the person from the demonic. Love doesn't just appear. Love grows. And our capacity to love expands even through our stupidity. And remember, when God puts a calling in your life, God has already factored in Your stupidity. Much prayer, said Jesus. Much prayer. Amen.